to the ether today is wednesday july 20th 2022 today on the ether the shade protocol weekly twitter space let's take a listen all right so we got four eight twelve sixteen pretty much twenty yeah i think we can and get the ball rolling here thanks you all yeah, thank you for coming in but yeah let's pick up where we were at uh before we got got cut off there carter you were kind of talking about um if i'm not mistaken just the ability for, for Cosmos users to have more than one stable coin and, and what that actually means, and it's kind of a, a no-sum game, yeah. Yeah, so actually, so like one fact about stable coins is if you can, on CoinGecko, you can go do this research. If you grab every single stable coin that was ever launched, only 20% of them have actually ever succeeded. So it actually follows like kind of a power law distribution, um, which is, which is, which is interesting. That that would mean like if we launch ten stable coins in the cosmos, technically there's probably only going to be you know two or three that take up the majority of the liquidity, and the rest will probably be like lower market cap stable coins. So it's like you want you know you want to acknowledge that there is a distribution on like the rate of success of stable coins, but at the same time, the more stable coin experiments, like good experiments that happen, um, the more likely that we are to kind of discover those solid stablecoin projects that can share liquidity with each other. I'm like super looking forward to uh, like whoever launches a, a stable swap in the cosmos and, and getting liquidity unified in, in a single location. Um, it's going to bring a lot of stability to all the stablecoin projects launching like with CMST, with IST, um, with Ultra, with Silk. We got lots of great projects on the way. But where is liquidity going to coalesce? Um, and because because liquidity has to coalesce. If it doesn't, if it doesn't coalesce, then it's going to introduce you know some risks. The four four risks of stable coins are essentially you know you, you have your smart contract risk, you got your you got your bridge risk, you got your economic risk, and you have your liquidity liquidity risk, which I suppose you could like categorize as economic risk. But so yeah, we're, we're, Cosmos needs as many well-designed stables as possible. I think IST um, and Zaki and Agoric. I think I think that is looking shaping up to be really really solid. CMST as well on Comdex um, is looking really good. Does anyone know anything about Ultra? Like uh, Anon Forty One, do you do you know anything about Juno's stablecoin? That's the one I know the least about. Um, can't say I've heard anything specific as to how it's designed yet. I would imagine it will be built similarly, though, in terms of the whole over-collateralized PSM kind of model. Yeah, I know. I know Agoric is playing the launch with the redemption pool and kind of the lending model. CMST is launching, I believe, with just the lending model, not the redemption pool. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the redemption pool, it's essentially where you can deposit, you know one stable in and mint out the stable coin on the other end. And then at a later date, you can turn in that stable coin that you minted for like the original collateral that you put into the redemption pool. Frax did this on Ethereum when they bootstrap things, it works really, really well. The reason a user would use a redemption pool is because they don't want to be in a leveraged position, but they do want to own the stable coin. So which, you know, of course the next natural thought is, well, why wouldn't you just go and buy them the decks? The answer is slippage, right? So these redemption pools allow you to kind of like grow the supply of the stable coins safely and users will probably prefer it at the inception of the protocol. And then as liquidity gets deeper, they may prefer to just buy it on the decks. Yeah, I just, I want to address something really quick. I saw finance here you requested. Um, we'll have like a Q&A at the end of this, probably the last 10 minutes or so. Um, normally we'll just have a conversation up here. Um, with the with the speakers, and then we'll ask anybody if they have any questions. Um, so if you have a question, we can definitely mention it at the at the end of the space here. 
Um, I am curious, Anand, how do you how do you feel about multiple stable coins in the cosmos? How does that? What what are your thoughts? And is it good? Is it bad? How are you how are you feeling about it? I think generally generally speaking, we've seen in the Ethereum ecosystem quite a bit of a growth in terms of the number of um, stable coins we see. These aren't just your US denominated stable coins like your USDT, your USDC, and your DAI. But you also have like Ray, which is like an extremely complicated version of a stable coin um, that I, I hardly think anyone understands how it works, but it, it kind of does the job. And there's other um, pegged assets, uh, pegged stable coins such as Pax Gold, stuff like that. I think the Cosmos state, uh, space needs its own stable coins. It needs to reduce the reliance on any one stable coin. And I think people quickly started to see that after being so reliant on UST for so long, the collapse of UST literally just saw a big load of USDT and USDC flooding into the market, uh, into the Cosmos ecosystem uh, through the Axelar bridge. So it kind of felt like we learned something, but how much did we really learn if we were willing to accept just two non-native stablecoins gobbling up all of our um, stablecoin market cap? Um, so it's it's definitely good to see Agoric um, with Inter. It's good to see Comdex with their stablecoin as well as Juno building theirs. Um, they're all in their own lane, I'd say, in terms of being USD denominated. I imagine, um, and also the fact that they will be on public by default chains. Um, the only struggle I currently see with these stable coins is that be, the, the success that Ethereum saw between the centralized stable coins and DAI was that effectively they operated under a different model which distributed risk. Now, from what it sounds like, Inter and the Comdex stablecoin will be quite similar with the exception of a redemption pool. And my under, my guess is that the Juno stablecoin will be very similar in how it's designed as well. And that's before we even we forget to include um, Selenium, the new project in Cosmos, who are also building their own stablecoin. Um, I understand they're planning on using a similar model as well. So the fear is that while we may have five, six, seven different stable coins, if they all just operate under the same model, have we really distributed risk? Yeah, you know, I think it's a huge, huge question, right? If, if everything is based off of the same model and operating the same way, then like you just said, how have we, how have we really, really distributed risk at all rather than just giving things different names and having them operate the same way. Carter, I know you were about to say something. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think the the problem with the like over collateralized lending model is in the event of a of a bear market, you have a bunch of liquidations and the supply of the stable coin drastically reduces. I think Magic Internet Money is like probably the best example of this if you just look up their their market cap of MIM and circulation and then overlay it with like crypto volatility. Um, and so if we have five stable coins in the cosmos and the only mechanic is lending, then inevitably liquidity is going to like, it's, it's, it's almost like the liquidity is leveraged on like the, the, how fast it, it dissipates and disappears, which isn't, isn't necessarily good for the stability of the system. So definitely think that Frax's model with the redemption pools and then, they started with one-to-one -one redemption pools and then they switched to a, a more dynamic growth system that is still, I think it's like 93% collateralized, something something on the lines of that. Um, and it's it's more of a seniorage me mechanism. It's it's more dynamic, but way, way more collateralized than, than UST ever was. So I think it'll be interesting to see which Cosmos stablecoins head more towards the dynamic growth direction? Are there going to be ones that just decide to kind of go the maker DAO route where it's like you just take the most most possible safe model and accept the the risks of not being able to grow quickly because of the limitations of the model? I'm sure we'll see a little bit of diversity, but I think Anon41 brings up some some excellent points on that front with model diversity.
Yeah. So, I mean, it seems like we're all in agreement, right? That that multiple stable coins for one ecosystem is definitely the way to go. Not only because of the, the power law of distribution, like only maybe twenty percent of stable coins that are ever launched actually succeed or hold majority of the liquidity, but also we need diversification in regards to like model function, right? We can't all have lending products or we can't all have, dare I say the word algorithmic models, right? Like we can't, we have to have different models to diversify risk. But my, my next question for both of you is how do we feel about all of these being pegged to the, well, not all of them, but a vast majority of them being pegged to USD? Like how do we feel like, even though we have multiple stablecoins in the cosmos, them all being pegged to USD is potentially an issue. And so I'm very curious as to how both of you feel about, about that fact. Well, I mean, inflation was 11% the most, the most recent numbers. So you could be earning 10% safe yield in DeFi and you're actually, you know, losing value. Um, so I, I think like this reliance on centralized monetary system in the form of a dollar is a bit of a cognizance dis cognitive dissonance when we talk about kind of the vision for, for blockchain and crypto. That being said, the dollar is the most you know liquid, one of the most liquid assets in, in, in the world. It has that global recognition. People trust it a fair amount. I think that trust is somewhat being eroded away with. So, I mean, I think, I think we do need some dollar stable coins, but my hope is that the larger crypto and blockchain community, when they see stable coins emerge that aren't pegged to the dollar, that are attempting to be, you know, hedges against global volatility, such as Silk, that they would be excited about it and they would celebrate it and join in on the experiment, um, as opposed to what I've, I've heard some more legacy commenters say in the space, which is, why isn't it just pegged to the dollar? It's like, come on, guys, we're, we're capable. Of, like, we're, we have this amazing technology. Let's let's continue to push the boundaries of, of what's possible with currency. Such a joke. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm very curious as to your opinion on this as well. Yeah, um, I think I think it's fair to say when when Carter first reached out, um, introducing Shade and Silk to me, we went down quite a bit of a rabbit hole in terms of discovering what kind of stable coin compositions we could have. And we, we were ready from the get go to have a mix of traditional currencies, fiat currencies, and have a small allocation towards commodities, both traditional commodities such as gold and then Bitcoin as well. But I think the issue we currently face is that there is, I'd, I'd say there's, a bit of a bridge between what people think the crypto space is and what people um, actually, or what it actually is. I think what we see is that people mention we want this sort of um, detachment from the traditional space, we want to do things ourselves. But in the same, um, on the other hand, the, they basically want to ensure that everything they're doing it allows them to be richer or more wealthier in terms of fiat terms. Now, what that ends up looking like is it's a bit of a race to the bottom where people don't like the the e-money uh, e euro stablecoin has been here for quite a while. Now, you'd question why it hasn't seen a lot of adoption. And you could theorize that while people who were euro denominated could use the stablecoin, they run into the fear that there's an expectation that the euro will decline against the dollar over the long run. And we've seen that happening over the recent weeks, and it's even led to parity of both currencies. So what tends to happen is a lot of people, um, regardless of where you are, you benefit by just being in the US dollar stablecoin, because regardless of what happens to your fiat currency, you're likely going to have a lower impact um, on that dollar. Um, so I think until the crypto community is ready to accept that we don't have to stay on normal terms in regards of where our fiat currency is, then we're able to really start driving forward in terms of building um, models like Reflexes Ray or how we're building Silk to use a composition of baskets that includes both crypto and commodities. But we need that first step, which is detachment from fiat currencies. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. So you're taking more of an approach from where 
the U.S. dollar is kind of the benchmark in regards to, say, a, a, a local currency that someone is more likely to be successful and, and richer in if they stay in that than if they're in their own native currency, correct? Yeah, yeah. It, fun, funnily enough, it happened to me with the UST crash. Um, I, I had a decent chunk of UST, um, and my local currency is the British pound. And... UST collapsed and I sold my UST, I think, for a 25% discount just because I wanted out. And by the time I converted back to the pound, my overall net loss, I believe, was maybe 10 to 15% just because of the strength of the dollar relative to other fiat currencies. That's a good point for a lot of people. Just having access to the dollar as an asset is, is extremely exciting and, and empowering compared to their existing sovereign currency that they, that they use. So it, it's, it's definitely a, a strong trend that probably will continue for a while. I, I think the tipping point will come if the dollar no longer is kind of the world's reserve currency. I don't know if that happens in our lifetime. I don't know if that happens in a year, five years, 10 years. But I, I think like once that kind of benchmark gets confused once entropy enters into the equation. I think the room for cryptocurrencies that aren't pegged to sovereign currencies, that's when they'll really be able to take center stage in a meaningful way. Yeah, that's that's quite an interesting conversation, just in terms that it, it seems like there is a place for dollar stable coins as of right now, just in regards to the overall market adoption and, and crypto adoption as well. Like It seems that most users want that parity between the U.S. dollar and sorry, they don't want the parity between the U.S. dollar and their and their local currency because the U.S. dollar is currently stronger. Correct. So it seems like people want to kind of stay in there right now. Um, but yeah, Carter, I, I would agree that when we see that happen in terms of the, the U.S. dollar not potentially being the strongest world currency, I think a lot of people will come to the realization that that the U.S. dollar peg stablecoin isn't all what it's made out to be. I mean, another really, really hot button topic on this is regulation in regards to US dollar stable coins. I guess, Carter, do you have anything to add in terms of like the regulatory stance that people are going to start taking on US dollar pegged stable coins? Well, I mean, you got you to gotta be careful with making claims on regulation. So I'll, I'll, I'll frame this as one of my suspicions about what could happen. Right. So don't yeah, don't take sort of like not facts or anything like that. So the, the, I, I like to imagine a scenario such as this. Imagine there was who I don't know, let's say there is half a trillion in uh, USD denominated stable coins, right? And imagine that of that half trillion in circulation that there's one of them owns 250 billion uh, of that uh, half trillion market cap for USD denominated stable coins. What happens if that stable coin breaks, like we saw with UST? Well, the contagion actually starts to impact the United States economy in, in a very direct way. Like the, the crash of UST is impacting real world companies, right? Like if you think about the contagion impacting lenders, um, lenders impacting other lenders, which are impacting, you know, the businesses and the underlying, you know, builders and whatnot. So it's really just more like picture a UST scenario, but like 20 exit or 100 exit. That's what like the United States has to be worried about with the adoption of stable coins that claim to be pegged one to one with the US dollar. The more the more adoption they have, the greater systemic risk that's being introduced into the US uh, economy. Which, which is why I think we will continue to see sharper and sharper regulations on these things, um, just because that systemic risk probably isn't acceptable from a regulatory standpoint. And I do think that frees up, um, it, it frees things up for the non-sovereign sovereign currency type stablecoins. Um, something like Silk that doesn't claim to be a representative of the US economy and the US dollar. And I think that gives a lot more uh, agility to kind of traverse the regulatory side of things. But 
that's a hypothesis. That's a theory. That's not fact. It's not claim. That's just kind of my 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 suspicion on on things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all of it is up in the air too, as well, because no official regulatory bodies have made any decisions on actual laws being put in place regarding crypto, uh, specifically in the U.S. So a lot of it is going to be hypothesis. A lot of it is just going to kind of be speculation until we really see a regulatory framework built out with legitimate things and pathways that you can follow. Um, Anand, like you said, your local currency is the is the British pound. So I'm, I'm curious as to your perspective as well, being a non-U.S. citizen. Um, what what are your thoughts on regulations and, and how does that look from, from the U.K. perspective? I think... Um... We're, we're currently in a similar position to the U.S. where not a lot has yet been determined. Um, I'd say we currently appear to be a bit more crypto-friendly in appearance compared to the U.S. Um, we've, not got re- we've not really got anyone similar to Mr. Gensler in the U.K. Um, we've had quite a few conversations within the government actually to look to create some stablecoin laws. Um, that goes along the lines of I think I think they'd like to introduce stablecoin payments as actual payment, but this would be purely stablecoins that have got um, fiat currency backing. So it'd be something along the lines of what Tether and uh, USDC are. Now, going along those lines of maybe a world where you try to interface. Uh, just me being crazy for a little bit, but there could be a world where shade swap could be used to allow users to sell silk for a fiat treasury stablecoin, which they're then able to use to pay at a shop. At a shop. Now, it, 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 might, it might be what happens sooner rather than um, the UK government accepting silk or any um, non-fiat currency-backed stablecoin. Um, I do think we're a bit more friendly. I think we've got, um, I think there's Ripple and maybe Avalanche that are currently a part of the Digital Pound Association. And I think that's kind of working towards creating these CBDC type instruments in the UK. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of talk about CBDCs as well in the, in the States. Um, I have my I have my own opinions on CBDCs and and a fully centralized current digital currency, um, but we will save that for a different topic and a different conversation. Just because I don't think it's probably all that productive to have that conversation here. Um, Carter, do you have any like quick thoughts on that before before I bring something else up? Uh, that's, I didn't know that Avalanche was like kind of part of that European movement. We'll say that's actually really interesting. I wonder if we'll see different L1s migrate towards being like more focused on certain regions of the world. Like you have one blockchain that's very focused on Europe versus the United States versus like Africa or Asia. Like it would be, uh, that'll be fascinating to see that play out on the regulatory front. Cause you can only, you can only put your chips in, in so many places. Like when you put your chips on the table, you kind of got to choose where you're going to hedge your bets. And for those big projects, you kind of got you got to pick. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say, I think when we see a more regulatory framework built out, I would assume that a lot of L ones will have to be more focused on certain regions of the world um, in regards to what they're, what they're actually like willing to accept and how they operate. Maybe we'll even see some, some, I guess, collaboration between between nations and hopefully. Maybe larger blockchains will have the have the ability and, and freedom to operate kind of congruently in between different nations um, because they have relatively the same framework that you can operate in. But I'm not, I saw you I saw you there for a sec. Yeah, um, I I, th- I think it might be a good conversation for another day as well. But I do think we we start to get in a world where I, I imagine everyone in, everyone here has been in crypto long enough to hear a bunch of tether fud. I think they've probably also got to the point where they've heard some USDC FUD as well. And while it pains me to say it, I do think if we ever get to a point where we should have large-scale um, stablecoins which are backed by fiat currency, I think it does end up looking like a CBDC world as opposed to a corporate um, entity trying to run things their way. Yeah, I I have 
again, like I said, I have so many opinions on a CBDC run world. Um, <laughs> but I think I think you and I have the same opinion. I know we've had some some back channel chats like that. So, um, but so my next question, kind of more so related to what we were talking about earlier, Carter, more on like the technical side of things. But let's discuss the redemption pool a little bit more um, in regards to like what that actually function, what that's actually going to accomplish functionally and, and allow users to do, um, especially um, on, the I, on the IST slash Agoric side as well, because I think they're, they're the ones doing that, correct? Yeah, 100%. I mean, what I can do is just talk about the six stability mechanisms that Silk has. I guess that's probably, you can just, yeah. go, you just go one at a time. Uh, so the, the first first stability mechanism, which is you know universally universally shared with you know CMST, IST, I'm assuming Ultra will have this component to an extent too, is you know a lending product where people get to lock up collateral and mint out a stablecoin. So that's that's great for users because it just empowers people to do more with their assets. If you want to leverage your assets, you can use one of these lending protocols. Um, so it's Silk. What's the user story there? You lock up $150 worth of secret, you can mint out silk. You can now go, you know, sell that silk for some asset and speculate. You can go deposit it into the silk savings pool, which I'll explain that a little bit later on. Um, you can just hold silk potentially if you're bearish on the collective market, or you can go use it like in every everyday commerce once we've, we've properly bridged things over. Now that's that's stability mechanism number one. Like how does the stability work? Um, if Silk's ever under peg, you can buy Silk off the market at a discount and pay off your, your interest and your loan, right? So that, in, that increases, the, increases the demand for the stable coin, which pushes it, pushes it back to peg. It's an extremely strong effect um, in terms of under peg scenario. Over peg scenario where Silk's would be over peg, uh, you have an opportunity to, you know, mint out Silk at a dollar and five rate. If we're saying a dollar and five cents is the target. And sell it on the open market for let's say a dollar and seven cents when it's when it's overpay. And that's you know, that's just pretty, pretty simple arbitrage that people will take a good chunk of the time. So that's over collateralized model stability mechanism number one. Stability mechanism number two, redemption pools. So the way redemption pools work is kind of what was explained earlier. You'll have the opportunity to come in and deposit something like IST, something like Ultra, something like CMST into a stablecoin pool, and then you'll be able to mint out Silk. And later on, if you want, anyone can with Silk, they can deposit Silk into the pool, which the Silk then gets burned, and they're able to retrieve a corresponding amount of stables from that underlying redemption pool. Frax has proven this model out for bootstrapping things. Uh, Agoric's also using this route. Silk is also aiming to have this route as well. Now, we have a unique challenge on this front. The unique challenge is what happens if Silk appreciates or depreciates in value in relation to the stable coins that were deposited in the redemption pool that allow us to mint out Silk, right? That's a problem that's currently being um, worked on, and a lot of it's tied to volatility of Silk. It has to do with um, fees and kind of a, a curve to handle that potential gap that can grow. So it's kind of, it's an interesting challenge. It's like we have a redemption pool, but we have to account for Silk having like a degree of volatility in relation to those underlying state points in the redemption pool. Now, how does this redemption pool help the stability of Silk? Let's say Silk is over peg by a dollar and, you know, it's at a dollar and seven cents instead of a dollar and five cents. What a user can do is they can deposit, you know, 1.05 IST into this redemption pool, mint out, one silk as if it's $1.05 and then sell it on the open market for $1.07. So they earn the arbitrage profits, peg is driven back down to the target price, everyone's happy in an over peg scenario. Under peg scenario, there's also an extremely strong feedback loop because let's say it's at a dollar, silk is trading at a dollar and three cents, we want it at a dollar and five cents. Um, a user can effectively buy silk at a dollar and three cents with their stablecoin and then immediately deposit all of that silk into the redemption pool as if it's worth a dollar and five cents in return for getting a dollar and five cents worth of like the stablecoin. So it's just, it's another arbitrage loop, but it's a super, 
that's honestly one of the strongest stability um, mechanisms on that front. So we talked about stability lever one, talked about stability lever two. Now we'll talk about the third stability mechanism, which is the protocol arbitrage. So protocol arbitrage is a like never really been done before at the scale that we're aiming to do this. Um, primarily because you have, you have white whale on Terra and the whole point is like they were gonna help stabilize the UST peg and in the process of earning, earning ARB profits, it was gonna go back to um, you know, the whale token holders. We looked at that way back and said, wow, that's like a really fascinating concept. But white whale encountered a problem. How do you beat you know, institutional players in a game of arbitrage. And the answer is when it comes down to speed, you can't. So our workaround for this is that the protocol arbitrage bot is working directly with ShadeSwap. It sidesteps the fee, so it has access to profitability ranges that no one else can. The net result for this is whenever Silk is over pegged or under pegged, protocol is able to arbit uh, within very, very bounded um, parameters. And it's going to be using ShadeStaker's collateral to our uh, peg disparities profitably. Um, so it's a, it's a really interesting stability mechanism to have the protocol be one of the arbitrage participants. It adds more pricing accuracy for ShadeSwap. It drives revenue back to ShadeStaker's and it ultimately helps um, Silk stability as well. So that's the third third stability component. Um, the fourth stability component is something that we're calling collateral uh, redemptions. So the way collateral redemptions work is there is a pool that you're going to be able to deposit your silk into. And whenever um, collateral is getting uh, liquidated or whenever there's um, lending positions that are violating system-wide um, asset to liability rules tied to the lending product, your silk will get burned to account for the, the liquidation process. And this silk savings pool will be earning liquidated um, collateral, right? And so the silk savings pool, it's, it's gonna be a place to earn yield for silk and all of those liquidations and the process of your silk contributing to that process um, ultimately brings additional stability to the system. The well, am I, on, am I on fourth right now or fifth? I'm on fifth. <laughs> I lost track. You're, um, on the, you're on the fifth. I'm on the fifth. So the, the fifth stability component for, for Silk is something known as bounded conversion minting. Um, this one warrants like an int. Actually, we should do a Twitter space next week specifically for bounded conversion minting. Like that actually probably be well worth like describing the mechanic at length, or I should make a YouTube video for it and just kind of walk through it on the whiteboard. Um, long story short, bounded conversion minting was the result of looking at Terra's seniority mechanism and realizing all of the problems with you know the constraints that didn't exist. And it allows the protocol to leverage shade stakers collateral in unique ways, um, helps maintain the peg, helps earn profit in multiple ways, but it does so within the context of collateralization and, and collective value that's sitting on the treasury and the ability to back silk that's minted from the treasury. But I digress. It's, it's a stability mechanism. It's also a growth mechanic. It also does introduce additional risk system, but how that risk is bounded is extremely conservative um, in relation to existing seniority systems. And there's still a lot of research going on on the bounded conversion minting front. Um, but we're we're super excited to move the envelope forward and and like not fully give up on that entire system. It's just it's it's a, it's a module, and we get to choose you know when it when it gets leveraged, when it gets used, and what the risk parameters are. So that's stability mechanism um, number five. Stability mechanism number six is shade bonds. So bonds have this really unique component where we can essentially pull silk out of the market or push silk into the market um, at, a, at a discount in effect. And I would wanna pull SBEAM into this conversation because there's research being done that would allow us to discover kind of like the risk-free rate of return tied to silk 
And that would essentially have to do with, you know, you come in, you give 990 silk uh, to the DAO, and X number of days later, you're going to get 1,000 silk. And long and short, bonds are an extremely powerful mechanism in the event of a crisis. You hopefully never have to use bonds for that scenario. It also is helpful with establishing kind of the, the fundamental time value of money tied to silk. So that is the sixth stability mechanism, and bonds will be launching. Um, probably it's looking more like August at this point, just with how long the, the audit is taking right now. Um, so yeah, when people say like, oh, like silk, how are you differentiated from Agoric? How are you differentiated from CMST? How are you differentiated from Ultra? The answer is, well, it's privacy-preserving stablecoin. It's pegged not to the dollar. It's pegged to a basket of global currencies and commodities. And it also has six stability mechanisms that are all modularly looking to be introduced into the system as opposed to just one and two. The natural next question is, do those modules introduce additional risk? The answer is probably yes. But if we do the, the research um, if we do the research properly, then there will be a lot more flexibility for growth and for uh, stability of silk and uh, diversification of the economic levers. So that was a long, that was a long round. <laughs> no worries. I mean, it, it takes a little bit of time, right, to, to actually like conceptualize how different silk is going to be from what you would normally call a stable coin. Like, it is not just a stable coin. It is, it is a completely different beast that is so much further along um, in my own opinion, than than what we currently have going on right now, um, Anand, I would I would love to know a little bit about your thoughts about what Carter just said, and then let's open it up to questions because we have discussed quite a quite a bit. So I'm curious as to as to who in the audience has questions and, and things like that. So <laughs> um, there 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 are some times where I stay silent and I just listen to Carter because what he says is quite out of my depth. And this is probably one of those. Um, <laughs> uh, we have infographics, infographics for all these on the way to Gitbook 2. And like a lot of this stuff will be able to be described in like a single slide. And it will be six slides walking through all the levers. So that verbal, that ver verbal you know, rant will be much more succinct once it's documented. Yeah, I, 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 I understand a couple of them um i definitely do like the idea of protocol run arbitrage it sounds quite cool and i think if we consider some of these aspects in isolation i can see a world where other applications start to draw on some of shane's features not because they're making their own um not because they're making their own stable coin by any means but i see a world where they see protocol run arbitrage as an attractive feature for their own decks and things like that just it seems like all of these building blocks that are coming into place to make shade uh, make silk strong are things we'll start to see wider and wider in the future oh 100 percent. i think um carter what was the quote yesterday we don't need to we don't need to improve blockchain technology we need to improve applications and infrastructure um and, and i think once once these things gain more popularity i think we'll see a lot more ecosystems adopt things like protocol arbitrage or or any of the other uh, topics that Carter discussed. But let's bring a couple people up. Um, and then Carter, I want you to plug your your podcast slash space that you'll be on later um, at the at the end of this space. So just once once we're done with the AMAs, guys, Carter's going to plug a quick uh, space that he'll be on. It's a, it's a DeFi panel regarding stable coins. Um, and privacy. So let's bring up financier here. I know he's been. I know he's been waiting. But uh, financier. I'll say, I'll say one last thing before you bring finance, financier. Yeah. The, yeah. the crazy part is like arbitrage as a as a service is so strong. And like to date with staking collateral, people just lock up collateral and it doesn't do much for the protocol. But if you think about it, arbitrage either executes or it doesn't based off of profitability. And so why wouldn't you just leverage staking collateral to run arbitrage and generate profits for the protocol? Like it, it's, it's just like a, it's, we're, we're finding really creative ways to utilize staking assets. And I think protocol arbitrage in hindsight for everyone is going to be just like an obvious no brainer. But, it, but the only way it works is when it has 
permission to access to sidestep fees tied to certain applications, because that's the only way you can actually be competitive. And I think that's where Shade Protocol's vision of having a suite of interconnected privacy-preserving applications unlocks this whole design space. And I think that's why we're the first to kind of like accidentally stumble into this, this con concept, to be honest. But anyways, and rant. It's just, I totally agree with you. Protocol arbitrage is going to be very profitable for, for Shade Stakers. Awesome. Yeah, Finance you're you're on stage. Welcome. Hello. I've got a question regarding the Shade token. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so was there a token unlocked recently? And what is the live circulating supply? Yeah, so there wasn't an unlock recently. Um, the airdrop happened, I think, on February 21st of this year. Uh, but the next 10% of the airdrop will be released when bonds is is released. Um, so that's, like Carter said, depend, depending on audit, um, it's looking more like August, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, that'll be another 10% of the airdrop, and then the rest of the airdrop will be unlocked uh, this fall when shade swap governance and staking go live and then in regards to the circulating supply i actually don't have a number off the top of my head i would have to i would probably have to go to one of our our finance guys um i'm pretty sure he has the number but i would say a safe estimation is probably around 250k yeah. Um, don't don't quote me on that, uh, but I would say that's a safe estimation. I can I can definitely get a number for that. Um, and if you want to DM me at Dalts Twenty One, that we can we can have that conversation for sure. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, appreciate you coming up. And then let's bring up Blessed Hammer. You are up. Welcome. How's it going, guys? Good morning. Doing good. good. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Can you guys hear me good? Yes, sir. All right, cool. I just wanted to get a little feedback on your philosophy with how governance may or may not work between shade and potentially silk or your baskets and how you guys plan on uh, allowing, you know, communities and, and stakers, uh, you know, to dynamically be involved in uh, the processes. 100%. So governance is, in my opinion, if it's, it's, it's end game, it's late game. But in order to get there, you have to think about it from day one. So what Shape Protocol has done with governance is devised a concept known as assemblies. And what an assembly is, it's essentially a multi-sig multi of addresses that have been voted on by the community that are able to take a specific subset of actions. So you could have something like a silk assembly where they're able to tweak the, uh, the basket. Uh, they'd be able to tweak the composition potentially. And then every time they do an on-chain vote to, or like every time they want to perform an action to update something with the protocol that they've been gifted with the ability to do within the assembly, there's something called a sanity check, which is essentially a, like a lower quorum vote where the community still ultimately has end say over whether the action does or doesn't happen. And then, then there's going to be cyclical elections tied to these assemblies to make sure that there is space for the community to update like who exists on these different um, assemblies. And so there can be an infinite number of assemblies and each assembly has you know whatever amount of flexibility. There'll also be a sort of potential like impeachment process too for assemblies if they go off the rails. And one of the biggest attack vectors, like every time we're designing an app, like such as Bonds, we're pretty much assuming that the assembly is completely malicious, the people that are able to like take certain actions, like issue a bond. And then the question that becomes like, well, how do we minimize the attack vector? And so that's where you have risk, risk parameters that can be established for, for all the assemblies. And I'm super excited about governance because it's just like we're trying to have this extremely flexible toolkit for the community to use. We'll also have um, representatives, which I think will be more of a V2 concept, but the idea is you're, you're able to delegate your vote to an address. It's not mandatory, um, but like it's, it's an option. I think representatives will be uh, a cool, cool experiment. And uh, yeah, po power to the people pretty much. <laughs> That's great, man. I like to hear it. That's something I think is going to be absolutely essential later down the line. 100%. And like, I would uh, 
be sure to stay involved in the in the community because I'm I'm really excited to see the different community members um, take a take a step forward and take up these these different roles. They'll probably be you know a grants assembly, a silk assembly, shade swap assembly. Like it, it could be per app, it could be more broad than that. We really don't know what the assemblies are going to look like, but like we know that we need to design a toolkit to allow that flexibility into perpetuity so that governance scales as the protocol scales. Thanks for the answer, man. 100%, that's an awesome question. Yeah, thank you, Blast. That was that was a that was a really solid question. Um, we're going to bring up Red Eye now. He is a community member, uh, been around for a long time, but uh, Red, you should be on stage, welcome. Hey, can you guys hear me? Yep, loud and yep. Okay, awesome. Um, I just wanted to speak very briefly about uh, some of the stability mechanisms that Carter mentioned and some of the things I'm thinking about as he's talking about them. Um, when After the crash of Luna, UST, one of the things that became uh, apparent is that you, know, you can have code that uh, has been audited and has been given the thumbs up by auditors that like the, the actual code is secure, but you can have logic that... Um, that is problematic. And so one of the questions I have for the team is how are you guys testing and verifying uh, the different stability mechanisms that are present uh, within um, these different applications? And is there a way for you guys to like publicize or almost audit the logic behind some of these things? Um, because I, I imagine that certain problems will arise once it's in production and out, uh, you know, out in the wild. And sometimes you just have to problem solve on the go. Uh, but I was just curious, like, how are you guys testing and verifying these different uh, stability mechanisms? Yeah, so the, the, there's probably the most important contract is something that we're calling the, the golden ratio. And in essence, what it is, is it's a contract that tracks all the different silk that's in circulation. As, oh, one second, guys. So essentially it tracks all of the silk outstanding and it also tracks the collective assets that are in the system backing backing silk. And so every single mechanic of the system is like contributing to that what we consider golden ratio. And then your different risk parameters are tied to that golden ratio so that you know you don't let you don't let certain actions occur if that ratio falls below a certain a certain point. Um, and in terms of like economic audit, we do have some spreadsheets that have been spun up that have like are simulating all the different different mechanics. So I can talk with SBeam and maybe that's something that we can get kind of like kind of publicly opened up to to everyone and definitely open to the concept of an economic economic audit. It's just about finding the the right team and like for which which mechanisms need to be audited. I, I honestly think. Bounded conversion minting is probably the most sensitive one, like redemption pool and the over collateralization. That's pretty like that's pretty robust at this point. Um, it's pretty much yeah, bounded conversion minting and bonds, probably the two the two biggest ones. Yeah, awesome. I one of the one of my personal mantras is trust but verify. Um, I can have a high amount of trust in a system or a group of people, um, but I'm still gonna. I still would like to verify it myself because if something goes wrong at the end of the day, it's no one else's fault but mine for interacting with this protocol. And so giving users the ability to verify the stability of some of these things or at least see some uh, some semblance of, like you were talking about, these spreadsheets or some sort of economic audit um, would probably uh, put a lot of worries at ease for anyone um, who recently... Uh, you know, kind of was hurt by this, uh, by the UST crash. Yeah, I completely agree. I'll, I'll offer a slight counterpoint in the sense that UST and actually how it was supposed to react to depegging events was extremely well documented. Like there was actually simulation models that were out there. There was very well done white papers walking through really bad events. And so I'll, I'll just caution it by saying like looks can be deceiving um, even if it's like well presented, even if it's been really well researched. So it's like there's always risk that exists in these systems regardless.
regardless of presentation of how risk has been thought about research. And that, that stands true for shape protocol, that stands true for, for any protocol. But the onus, the onus is much higher on a stable coin project because it's, it's claiming, claiming stability. I appreciate the answers. Thank you very much, Carter. Yep. Yeah, thanks, Brad. Um, all right, guys, last last question here, just because we're a little bit over time, but we're going to bring up uh, Dr. Doom, it looks like. I love your username. But uh, yeah, Dr. Doom, you are on stage. Welcome. Yeah, so my question is for um, for Kara, like, why, why do you want to build, like, or why do you want to be a secret, why do you want to be a secret agent on a, a on, on an ecosystem that's built on a public ledger that's pertaining to become uh, a a secret agent? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think that the con the contract layer of secret network is is private in terms of contract interactions look like and what metadata is actually kept and created in the J JSON files for these for these on-chain transactions. So in my opinion, secret being public and having the contract layer be private is absolutely, you know, sufficient, sufficient for our needs. And I think that you need to be able to have a degree of granularity when it comes to like viewing keys and auditability and secret network definitely provides that. Um, is it, you know, is it, is it perfectly private? Like, no, it's not, it's not perfectly private. Should we aspire to have even greater privacy? It definitely enters into more of a functional philosophical discussion. And that's why in my mind, like we cheer, we cheer privacy tech on in all of its different forms. And hopefully Secret Network continues to push the envelope on this front. But from our end, the only place that Shea Protocol and Silk could functionally be built was on Secret Network. It's not like there was any other smart contract platforms that had the degree of encryption and privacy that, that we needed. So we're, we're here and we're, we're happy to be secret agents. Yeah, that's, that's good. Like I'm, I'm happy to, to, to like understand that, that there's, there's like different, there's different ecosystems that are, that are like built on top of like the EVM. Like why do you build on a public ledger if you want to become private? I want to understand that question. Because it is private enough for the, the functionality of the applications. Like user, it's user what data. Do what do you mean? It's, 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 it's a public ledger. So you're building on top of it. You're, you're, you're building on, a, so you're building on, you're building on top of a public ledger to become anonymous. It doesn't work out. You have to, Build privacy from the ground up. That's the reason why Zcash didn't work. Monero didn't work. Okay. Oh, Monero worked. Okay. But smart contract way. Zuku, Zuku spoke about this. Okay. Yeah. Like most, most, most of these protocols didn't fucking think about it. Didn't think about the, the, the idea of building privacy from the ground up okay so i'm coming i'm i'm coming from a community of uh of 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 of, of thinkers who are, uh, are using zk snacks okay no no we're using nisks okay microsoft is using this nisks okay so you know like zk zk proofs and shit so what we're doing is us we just want to give you decentralized finance. True and real. There's no fakery. You don't have to go to another uh, another shop uh, that's going to tell you, okay, you're going to have to cash out your money there. I want to take like a little bit there, a little bit of liquidity. No, it's peer-to-peer, -peer, everything, okay? Yeah, dude, so I, yeah. I don't want to cut you off and interrupt your your train of thought here i yeah. think I, I think we're on the same page and i think a lot of yeah, no no we hey brother we're battling a we're all battling the same you know fight we're fighting the same fight bro 
Yeah, you know I, I mean? I'm just I'm just saying, like in terms of this space mm-hmm. and in terms of what the topics were, I I would love to have this conversation. All I gotta say is one, and I think Carter would love to as well. Hey, no, no. And so I'm just I'm just saying, let's you let's you, 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 you you can mute, you can mute me. That's fun. <laughs> no, I won't mute you. But let's let's take this offline and let's have let's have an in depth conversation because I want to hear where you're coming uh, from. And in the sense of yeah, we need we need people like you in our community as well. Yeah. So yeah, let's take this offline. DM Carter. DM me. Uh, Adults Shade Protocol, um, or Adults Twenty One on Telegram, and and let's have that conversation. But yeah. Uh, yeah. we are almost ten minutes over. Luca, I know I know you requested. Um, if you have if you have a question, feel free to DM us. Um, that'll be the best way. I don't want to take up anybody else's time. Um, but uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you everyone for jumping on. Um, thank you everyone for joining the space. Carter, if you could plug your DeFi panel really quick, I want everyone to know what you're going to be talking about later. Yeah, so the DeFi, DeFi Summit is hosting a panel on stablecoin, that kind of future stablecoins, as well as the conversation around CBDCs. Um, I will be on there with Sam, the, one of the founders of Crax, um, as well as a project tied to Truflation, another, another stablecoin uh, project, Nuon, I think. So that'll be, I have to check my calendar really quick. I think you'll be tweeting out about when that is today. I think it's in. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, it's, it's at 2.30. Um, and we will, we will be tweeting out uh, from Shade Protocol about Carter being on that. So just be aware of that. Uh, be on the lookout for, for that. But that's an extremely, extremely cool opportunity for Carter to be on that panel um, and discuss centralized finance and, and stable coins with with someone like Sam from Frax and, and multiple other founders. But yeah, I just want to, again, thank everybody for jumping on. Uh, thanks for listening to us talk about kind of the cosmos in general and, and stable coins and more specifically how Silk is going to function um, and, and hopefully be be the next iteration of stable coins. But uh, yeah, everyone enjoy the, enjoy the rest of your day, evening, morning, uh, whatever it is for you. And we will see you same time uh, next week, Wednesday at 4 p.m. UTC. Bye, everyone. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was the Shade Protocol weekly Twitter space recorded on Wednesday, July 20th, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. Watching these debates like what a bunch of noise when the illusion of choice outmaneuvers your voices. No one really knows what the fuck is going on here. Sitting in the bunker, waiting for the all clear. It's like we're getting steered towards the motherfucking iceberg. Captain all drunk deciphering where the ice lurks. And we thought 2020 was gonna be a nice year. Living with the plague like, who brought the mice here? Try to think of it as another simulation. Game full of bugs, but it's still fun to play. It's like we're aliens, beta testing Earth. Digging in the dirt, trying to earn a little girth The beast is silent when it defeats the riders Living outside, trying to meet this virus If you wanna watch it all burn from the sky rise Delete the science and increase the righteous Living like a jerk, return to feed the worms Vibing like a tree, just breathing out the words Be careful outside, then police is violent Feeling like I finally earned some peace and quiet piece of pie first trying to be the fat kid you least admire feast of fire when the beasts of burden are getting all bored but at least we're certain we found the imposter living among us fussing with hunches another big chungus bludgeon don't worry the fungus will clean up the guts and get us to function on fleeting assumptions i see through the rust from rush to rush now we're stacked up like a bunch of junk so hush your muck before we stuff your luck and break your fucking neck to this like bust a bust Bleeding impulsive, the meeting controls it When breathing corrosive, no eating the bullshit Feeling the worth like it's gonna be a good year Now we're all tired, stop treading on the work here <laughs>